Hello and good afternoon. My name is Jürgen Steinmetz, joining you from Livestream.Travel and eTurbo News in Honolulu. With me as always is Dr. Peter Talo, um, joining us from College Station in Texas. Raining here still. How is it in Texas, Peter? Oh, well, it's really beautiful here. Um, so we have a little bit of paradise. It's in 70 degrees and um, nice blue skies. I understand that the situation in Hawaii, on the other hand, is somewhat... Um, chaotic. I believe on the island of Maui, they had a dam that has burst, or they're afraid of the dam is going to burst. I don't remember exactly, but that um, they're having some real needs to evacuate people in different parts of Maui. So um, yes. I guess you guys are having quite a lot of rain. Um, we had our cold. We had our miserable week. I guess it's your turn now. Yeah, luckily, I'm in the Waikiki Alamoana part, and it's always dry. It's, it's, it's raining for five minutes and it's, the sun comes through again, but it's still a rainy day here. And I know from living on the North Shore on the other side of the island for so many decades now, uh, before I moved here, there it's always raining. So yeah. it, yes, yeah. and Maui did have um, a, a, some, uh, there, there was some evacuation and threat. And, yeah. and this happens, it's kind of a yearly thing. So it, it keeps out. Oh, it's it's okay. nothing really that that, that that It made the national news. Um, right. On the other hand, it's kind of was a little bit of a break from um, the uh, consistency of hearing about COVID around the world. I think a lot of people last night turned into uh, the television, the Oprah interview with uh, Harry and Meghan, not because they were necessarily interested, but it was a nice two-hour way escape from some of the uh, daily insanities that all of us have to live with. Uh, certainly, I find, you know, their lives are pretty irrelevant to most of our lives, <laughs> uh, to say the least. And I, it was, it, I saw it as two hours of escape. It made my wife happy, so that was good. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, something that, you know, exactly how important the Duchess and whatever his title is, uh, 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 Harry's title is, and that they, she cried because her sister-in-law didn't like her dress or whatever, is probably a minimal issue within the great things of the world. I think we have other issues, such as the Brazilian, entire Brazilian hospital system is on the verge of collapse because of COVID. And that was first just in a few states where they could move people from one state to another, but um, I was just recently on a program um, on Brazilian television and it was about a week ago. And I thought, wow, this is really not good, but it's gotten worse in, since I did that program. And so my heart really goes out to all the people in Brazil. Uh, I know that they're trying to um, work uh, to get more vaccines. Uh, uh, Israel has now, you know, I think we talked last time about that Austria, Denmark, and Israel have formed this uh, alliance. And now there's a new alliance in Europe, which is uh, Israel, Hungary, and Czechoslovakia. So there are going to be five countries that are all going to be working on producing rapid vaccines and rapid um, therapeutics. And they will be sending some of that to Brazil. So that will be a relief. But wow, they got a lot of problems there, as Italy. Yeah, and Peter, if you go back to Brazil, um, Brazil kind of ignored the situation for the longest yeah, time. Yeah. And uh, exactly. everything was open. There was people acted like there is really no big issue. And uh, this is kind of 
the, the result. And this is yeah. my fear for, for this country as well, yeah. because we're starting well, to ignore the problem as, yeah. as a new normal. Well, the, you know, the, the Brazilian situation is slightly different because so many people in Brazil live in favelas, in slums. And it would have been impossible to social distance. And I think the government there was kind of worried about two sides of it. One side of it was the need to get people to wear masks and social distance, which probably was not going to take place in large parts of Brazilian cities. And then secondly, the trying to enforce a law that would become unenforceable, causing riots. And uh, so it was kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, they're certainly not a Western country in the way, and you know, if we want to compare a European country with the United States, that kind of makes sense. In Latin America, it's tough because you can have, you know, 25 people in a, in a house and um, the houses are one on top of the other. And that's what happened, for example, in Guayaquil in Ecuador, where there was impossible to social distance anybody because there was no space. People were all clustered together and either they had to sleep on the street or they had, you know, they lived in these terrible slums and, and, and that became a real uh, problem. So Yeah, and if you look at a city like Rio, one of my, uh, one of the most stunning cities in the world, I have to say, uh, I love yes. Rio, um, but you can, the, the problem is quite obvious. There are like three or four different uh, roads parallel to the beach. And when you're at the last road, furthest away from the beach, you're in the slump. Yeah. And it's all so densely together. And um, yes, you're absolutely right. And, and it's not only the slums, because the slums would spill over to areas that are not slums very easily. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I was working in the, um, on the Olympics in Brazil and on the World Cup, that was a real issue because the favelas, the slums, are sometimes only two or three blocks from uh, Copacabana or from right, some exactly. of these areas. Yes. And one of the ways I learned what was safe and not safe was I worked with the garbage collectors because they would see where there were body parts on the streets. And so that I would get up at 5.30 in the morning or six and talk to the licheros uh, uh, and to the uh, garbage collectors. And they would tell me, don't go in the street or this street had a big fight or this street is too close to whatever. And that's how I knew it had to be safe. Um, and so I, I learned that uh, you really had to um, come up with creative ways of, of it, it wasn't a Western world, it was a very different world. And uh, that makes fighting COVID really difficult. When you have that many people together, there's no social distancing, people don't have money for masks. They sometimes barely have money for, you know, just to eat. So you don't want to have a, a, a riot. On the other hand, you don't want people, what's going on now with the hospitals being overflow, uh, overflowing. And we're seeing other problems such as in Italy where I think they just had their 100,000th death, if I'm not mistaken. And Italy has a new strain. We reported about it today. You can see it on eachobernews.com. Uh, Mario wrote this report from Rome. And currently there is a new strain of a virus what was detected in Italy and what originates from Thailand. In Thailand, they only had one known case and it was imported from Egypt, they claim. And it's a very, very contagious uh, uh, yeah. strain. So this is now in, in Italy. The good news in Italy, though, is that uh, vaccine 
becomes more and more widely available. There is a deal just about to happen. It's about to be signed with Russia, out of all, all places, uh, for the Russian Sputnik. Five. Um, and so the only reason this hasn't happened yet is, I think, because the European Union has somehow has to co-sign it, and they haven't done this yet. So once this is available, um, there's, according to our correspondent in Rome, there the vaccine uh, should be uh, able to speed up quite a bit in Italy. Yeah, I'm not so. I, I'm somewhat confused why the Europeans have done such a poor job of. Um, vaccine distribution. Um, I know that they have the AstraZeneca in, in the United Kingdom, and I thought that was supposed to kind of cover most of the EU, and it just doesn't seem to have worked. Um, I mean, the Danish are upset, the Czechs are upset, the Hungarians are upset, the Austrians are upset, and they're all saying that Europe is going backwards rather than forward. So I'm not sure why that is, but they have, the Germans, I guess, are functioning pretty well, but much of the rest of the continent's really having a hard time. Well, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, of course, every country is different. And you mentioned Germany, and I know from Germany that people um, younger than I am <clears throat> are already vaccinated. And yes. it's going on quite, uh, um, quite right now. Actually, right now, this, the change in Germany is that this vaccine uh, is about to be made available to pharmacy. And then pharmacies, of course, they, they are not allowed to, to administer this to anyone and everyone. It has to go you know, down the priority ladder, but right. the priority ladder is quite a bit lower already. People are vaccinated that uh, here in Hawaii, we don't even think about it yet. Yeah, but that so, just seems to be Germany. In other words, much of the rest of Europe is not doing very well at all. So um, I do understand that Germany is doing okay, but you're seeing complaints across the EU uh, even in France and in Holland, people are complaining about poor delivery of, of vaccinations. So I'm not sure why, why that's happening. You would kind of think Europe would be more advanced in this type of situation. And they're really not doing a good job. On the other hand, the um, Russian vaccine does seem to be getting around the world. I'm not quite sure why the Americans and the British vaccines, which are, I believe to be medically are superior, um, are not getting more widely distributed more quickly. Uh, that's something that needs to be think through. And that's adding to the desperation of tourism. Uh, cruises are being uh, canceled or post, well, nobody gets canceled, they get paused. Uh, the pause just continues, it feels like ad finitum. Um, people are looking for new places um, to attract visitors, such as I think the Seychelles are now trying to get Russian tourists, something which would have been unthinkable uh, maybe a year ago because hotels are dying. And I think you wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on with ITB in Berlin. Yeah, and coming uh, back to the Seychelles, Aeroflot announced, I think as of today, uh, there are flights now nonstop, first flights ever between Seychelles and Moscow nonstop. And this is an, a, a market, of course, Seychelles is a very small island. Uh, but Russians were always um, quite pushy in, in the Seychelles because there are only very few countries that have an embassy. And China and Russia are two of these important countries besides the British and the French. The US, for instance, doesn't have an embassy in the Seychelles. So uh, this is an interesting development. Yeah, ITB in Berlin, it's where it's all started because it was the first major tourism trade show that was canceled the last minute exactly a year ago. 
because of COVID. Now this year, I um, I and predicted uh, I be in by Berlin. Turbo News before anybody else. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. We predicted it, and uh, we really got a lot of heat over it. And, and people said they would boycott us, and um, you name it. No one believed it. And uh, unfortunately, I wish you know we would have been wrong, but uh, we weren't wrong. And a year later, the situation hasn't really become any more promising. And ITB, like many other events, uh, is now ongoing virtual. I think they just started today. And what I'm surprised is uh, the I understand the the fee to participate in virtual discussion or find sellers virtually. You can talk to they're charging 99 euro that's about 120 dollars while in normal times when people actually go to berlin and uh, and attend physically the rate was about 50 euros about half of it so that's surprising and then also surprising is by all means it's a more sophisticated zoom conference it's an online conference no one travels anywhere the hotels are hurting and and, um, and suffering, the city, the taxi drivers are out of business. The shops have not uh, have no customers. But ITB Berlin is selling exhibitor space for I think up to five thousand euro. And if you really analyze who's buying the space, these are the the destinations that are really in dire straits. Uh, mostly uh, countries that most likely cannot afford it. The big guys kind of stay more conservative. So it's an yeah. interesting trend. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if people actually, it's one thing to charge, it's another thing to get customers. So right now, I don't think we know how many people actually are paying these prices. It may be that it's a complete dud. In which case, if you spend 5,000 euro for an exhibit, uh, a virtual exhibit, it's not even a real exhibit, it's a virtual exhibit, and you don't have any people attending, you're not gonna be happy. And that's going to have long-term consequences. You're, it'll be a long time till you go back again. So, um, you know, I, I'm pretty much convinced that um, we're starting to get some real Zoom fatigue. People are tired of um, these virtual conferences. And while we, I think we're very appreciative, we would be in a terrible situation if we didn't have the technology. I think there's also, we kind of need to, people need the human touch again. And um, I think, I'm hoping people will want to get back to tourism as quickly as possible once it's safe to travel. No, absolutely. Everyone is ready to go someplace. It just safety is the key. It's not like that yes, we don't want to travel. Health Everyone and wants and health, to travel. Yeah, yes. yeah. And so, you know, and, and we're making progress, but it's not consistent. So we have the airplanes themselves are quite, I think, quite um, safe, but the terminals have some real issues. So if you could get into an airplane without going through an airport, you'd be great. The problem is you can't board the plane without crossing the airport or getting off the plane, you're getting an airport. So these are the issues that are somewhat um, irregular and have to be really worked out before a recovery can take place. Um, the same thing, I think it's gonna be a while till the cruise industry really comes back. And that's gonna be a real challenge for places like the Caribbean or some of the Mediterranean ports that are really cruise dependent. And so um, they're gonna have to come up with some new creative ways of doing it because you could maybe hold out for two or three months 
But we're now in our second year of this, and that's going to be a long time without a paycheck. Right, absolutely. And this, of course, is the second problem. It's not only the willingness that you do want to travel, it's also can you really afford to travel right. when things are opening up. Well, those are some happy thoughts for a rainy day in Hawaii. Um, let's hope that uh, when we speak next, the sun will be shining and we're gonna have really great news that we can report. Uh, you notice I decided in honor of your rain to wear a yellow shirt to represent the idea that I'm hoping that Hawaii gets its sunshine back and that uh, the sun will shine all over the world, not only in reality, but also figuratively symbolizing that people's economies will also come back. So well, good night from, a, uh, from College Station. And we are hoping our beautiful weather continues throughout the week. Peter, this was a very good closing. I, right. I couldn't agree I, more. I, and I think we have a special after this, which is we're going to be hearing from one of the most unique countries in Africa, from Eswatini. It's, many people don't know the word. It used to be Swaziland, and the name has been changed to give it more of a, I assume, a, a true African flavor. And I think if people should stay on, they're going to hear about a really interesting conversation with the Minister of Tourism. And um, we really need to talk a little bit about uh, Eswatini because it's got a really unique culture. They have unique uh, costumes and dress. Um, and it's a country in Southern Africa. I believe it's surrounded by the um, uh, Republic of South Africa. No, not really. It's, it's bordering on Mozambique. Oh, okay. In South Africa. And yeah, His Excellency Moses uh, Bilakati, he's the Minister of Tourism and Environment. Uh, you will hear him um, in a few minutes here, and he will confirm that this African kingdom has a big heart for tourism. So let's let's see what he has. Let's hear what he has to say. All right. Well, then we end with lots of love, and hopefully the big heart of Espartini will send around the world. Perfectly. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, a further delay, I wanted to introduce um, our guest of honor. And, and this is also uh, a gentleman who has been essential in the African Tourism Board. Um, I have to um, also set up uh, in 2018. And, um, and Cuthbert would say a little bit more, but I wanted to not let him wait. Uh, he's the Minister of Tourism uh, from a very important country when it comes to travel and tourism. It's the kingdom of Eswatini. And those that don't know where Eswatini is, and I know there are people, where we, have, we have a global world and not everyone knows where every country is. But if you hear Swaziland, then you know where it is. Uh, Swaziland, yes. it's now the kingdom of Eswatini. It's in the southern part of Africa. And the Honorable Minister Birakati has been as I said, essential. He's always available. He's always there. He has joined a lot of our sessions, even quietly in the background. And I want to thank you great, for this. Great, great minister. Yes, he's a, he's a global global player um, from from an important country. But he will tell you himself. Welcome. Good evening, um, honorable minister.
Um, good, good evening, Johan, and uh, good, good evening to all. Um, it's always great to be here and uh, to uh, listen and to hear from uh, uh, great friends. Um, as I've been introduced, I'm the Minister of uh, Tourism, but uh, also other feathers like, uh, because it's Minister of Tourism, Environment Affairs and Forestry. So it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a mouthful. Um, and, and I'm very excited uh, to be part of this discussion. Um, here we are talking rebuilding uh, travel, but um, I really wanted to focus more on, on, on Africa because um, and uh, to that extent, uh, talk a bit about Eswatini. But maybe before I even get there, when I joined the African uh, Tourism Board, little did I know that I would meet great friends, great people who were able to share with me their experiences in tourism. Um, my background, is that of being an agriculturalist. So here I am now having to talk uh, uh, tourism, but um, I was used to traveling. So I used to experience a few things here and there. But when I became a member of the African Tourism Board, I gained a lot of experience from uh, the expertise that uh, uh, you have heard of uh, some of the individuals that have been introduced. And, and for me, it was very exciting uh, to, uh, to meet, greet, and share experiences on how we can shape tourism in Africa and throughout the world. And, and that, that is the exciting part. And when I look at the, the year where we are right now and realize the achievements that we have had, and obviously some challenges here and there, I, 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 can, I can attest that this has been a, a worthwhile journey uh, for us to achieve more. Where is Eswatini? Well, some would say, hey, we have never heard of such a country. Um, it is there. Uh, it's in Southern Africa, uh, surrounded by South Africa and Mozambique. Um, and uh, it's about 17,000 square kilometers. Very small, but with a big heart. Uh, and a very big heart for that matter. We, we pride ourselves as a country uh, that still follows um, uh, traditions and cultural uh, norms of um, the country. We are a monarchy and um, we have preserved our culture uh, which is very rich uh, for the past 400 years, which is basically from generation to generation. And uh, we therefore welcome guests uh, uh, from the continent, from the world, uh, who visit our country to witness some of these uh, cultural events and activities. They are there throughout the year. But more than that, when you look at um, the, the scenery, it's very majestic. 
uh, with valleys and forestry, uh, plus the wildlife reserves. We pride ourselves that we have got the big five, which you can be able to see within a day. And, um, and um, this has helped us a lot, the combination of the culture and the combination of the wildlife and the scenery. But this is true for most of the African countries, as some of you I might have visited, because Africa prides itself of that. It still needs to be nurtured. And um, the issue of environment, I was happy that as a country where tourism and environment under one roof, because through the preservation of the environment, then we're able to say, we have got a country, we have got um, uh, the environment, uh, which we try to keep intact. Now, when I, um, when I look back uh, in terms of the rebuilding of the travel, it has not been an easy journey, in particular after uh, March last year, when COVID-19 came and changed the way in which we were used to attracting people to come to our country. Um, I remember very well, I thought that uh, it was going to be just a one month thing. I said, ah, it's just a normal flu. It's going to be over within a week, a month. It's the whole year right now. So we have got to start adapting to the new norm because it's now a new normal. Thank God that uh, the doctors have been uh, very good and they've started producing some of these vaccines which we hope will now help us to start uh, uh, opening our borders and visiting our brothers and sisters and our friends. What did we then do as a country and as a region and as Africa? Um, during that, those pandemics, each country obviously had to close its borders. And it meant the tourism sector was really affected and affected badly. In our country, tourism contributes about 10%. But last year, I mean, 10% of the GDP. But due to the COVID, it has gone down to almost 3%. Uh, hospitality industries have closed. People have, have been retrained. And we've got, and then we've started thinking about the new norm. How do we now survive? How do we rebuild our travel? How do we make sure that the people that used to enjoy the wildlife can still come to our countries. This is the big question that I think we need to discuss and deliberate on to make sure that we can rebuild our fragile tourism sector. But maybe before I end, um, tourism is really resilient. And if we package, our narratives, we would ensure that uh, we can attract those people that love to travel. People have been um, quarantined and they are saying we want to come. And therefore it's about time to say we are open and Africa is now opening by the way. We are already seeing countries getting the COVID vaccines and we're hoping that by July, August, most of these countries 
would have been vaccinated. And that is an opportunity that we can uh, now cherish together. But as countries, what we then did was we started focusing on the domestic tourism. We realized that there were lots of things that we didn't know internally. And that has been going from country to country. And fortunately, it's an opportunity that has been brought by this pandemic. Uh, because now we now have more ambassadors. We now have more people who now understand the countryside, who understand what uh, the beauty of the country, the sceneries, etc. And that to me has been the lessons that I've learned to make sure that uh, uh, as I present today, I can say, I now understand the country better because I've also tried to travel because there were certain places that I wouldn't travel because I wanted to lead from the front to make sure that yes, you can go to such and such a place. Yes, you can enjoy a meal in there. Yes, you can climb this mountain. And, and I think that is the lesson that I learned. As we move forward, we have a dedicated strategy that say, as we open our borders, let's make sure that we can incentivize the people and the tourists that are going to come to our various countries. We can now share with our neighbors so that if people come to Southern Africa, we can start looking at a, 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 a bouquet, which will allow people to visit one country uh, and, and then to the next. But the key is to make sure that the protocols are similar because if the protocols are not similar, then we might, have, uh, we might encounter uh, problems uh, as we move forward. Otherwise, uh, with me, I'm very excited to be here. I look forward to uh, the discussions and to, um, to answer any questions. Uh, I realized that there are a number of guests, so I felt that I should just whet your appetite so that <laughs> I can be able to answer questions as we move along. Thank you very much, Johan, and thank you very much for listening to me. And, and, and thank you, Minister, so much uh, for laying this out. Before we get to question, if you allow us, I wanted to recognize uh, Louis Damour. Uh, he has very limited time, uh, I understand. So I want to give him the floor, and then we can maybe uh, go to questions for the minister and Louis, um, and then go on <clears throat> in the program. And in between, it's, all, it's an open forum. So if you have questions of any sort in between, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, but um, but we have Anita um, raising right. Anita, let us know where you where you're from, and go ahead, please. Thank you very much, um, WTN team. This is a wonderful program. I'm happy to be here. I'm from Nigeria. I'm the president of the Women in Renewable Energy Association, and I'm also the founder, chairman of Smiling Simon Greenbelt Foundation, and we are into ecotourism. We are walking through the tourism value chain in such a way that we can decarbonize you know, the environment. And I love what the minister has spoken about, you know, the environment, protection of the environment through tourism. And I really would like to ask him, how can we all work together in Africa, particularly um, through that wonderful body, African um, Tourism Organization, that we can have a pavilion 
in one country of the 54 countries, you know, featuring our foods, our culture, tradition, our beverages, all under one little pavilion so that we can actually work with a peace mission because we can go through food and our beverages and foster peace in Africa. That is my question for him. Thank you. Um, no, thank you very much. This is a, mouth, a mouthful. Um, I was uh, last in, in Nigeria um, when I went to uh, Ibadan at IITA and I learned a lot, um, uh, uh, particularly about um, business and also some of the cultural activities that uh, obtained in Nigeria. I was very, very excited. There were certain things I was trying to steal, <laughs> but uh, little did I know that at some point I'll be, I'll be a minister. If I knew then, I would have been, uh, I would have ensured that uh, some of your cultures uh, would have uh, come down south of Africa. I think the question that we are putting on the, on, on the floor is very, very important. How can we make sure that we can capitalize on the rich cultures of Africa? Because from country to country, the, the cultures are very, very rich. Um, I think we need to start looking at that. When, you look, when I look at uh, some of these cultural events that are done outside uh, of Africa, like, like the, 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 the Brazilian uh, cultural uh, event, I think we can have one in Africa. And um, I, through African Tourism Board, I will have to push Cuthbert to make sure that we host one so that all of these cultures can come together. Uh, it can take, it can start as a weekend and thereafter maybe for the whole week. Imagine having all of those cultures under one roof and each one showcasing what they are good at. Of course, I know that uh, a sweating would beat you, but uh, that's for another day. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful idea, Casper. Please just uh, no. check it as uh, part of the um, the menu that as we move forward. I yeah. I really would like to take this one on immediately. No, this is a, a very good uh, feedback, Anita. And um, and of course, we didn't forget Cuthbert. Um, uh, but Cuthbert uh, definitely needs to weigh in there. Let's before we go to Cuthbert, uh, Taleb raised his hand. So let's go to Taleb, and then we go to Cuthbert, if that's okay. Thank you so much. I just want to salute the minister. He's been a great minister, and I want to tell him something—a secret between him and I. He shouldn't worry about the fact that he's not specialized in tourism. You're an agricultural person. You have passion for tourism. I was like you. I came from architecture from politics into tourism. But you have to have passion and you have it. Minister, what you said is absolutely correct. You are a great man and you'll do a lot of good things, I'm sure. Just wanted to say that before we move on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Talib. And yeah, and, and the minister already addressed uh, Katbert Nikubi. Katbert Nikubi uh, is the uh, chairman of the African Tourism Board. African Tourism Board uh, started in 2018 
and Cutbread has been there from the very beginning. Uh, African Tourism Board, when you think about African Tourism Board, you definitely think about Cutbread Nikubi in Pretoria, and there's a lot going on, and, and I think the definitely. suggestion from uh, Moses is uh, quite important. And Cutbread is now, I think, joining us today from Namibia. He's traveling, and uh, I have to uh, say that we're all, all of us who knew Cutbread uh, had COVID in a quite a bad way, and it looks like he fully recovered. And there's a little bit of a story also uh, through it. And if you want to tell the story, feel free to do so. Uh, we've published it in eTurbo News, but uh, it's amazing the recovery Cutbird made. He looks like the old Cutbird, and I don't mean old in a way of old, but uh, you're looking young and, and, and fresh. And thank you for joining uh, both sessions, Cutbird. From, from African, saved by African. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jürgen. Really appreciate um, your support and your prayers as well. Honorable Minister, thank you so much. We really appreciate. Uh, always eager to move and to run. And uh, we really appreciate uh, as, as we are aligning Eswatini within the uh, global tourism space. We acknowledge and we're noting your endeavors and your participation as well uh, within the African Tourism Board. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much once again, Yegen, uh, Dr. Talo, uh, Dr. Taleb, as we celebrate uh, the high and byways of success drawn by yourselves and, 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 and team players behind the World Tourism Network uh, in su supported by the African Tourism Board in bringing the tourism champions together in so many engagements that we have had. May I hasten to echo the words of our executive member and patron of African Tourism Board, Dr. Taleb, that all mankind originated from Africa. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your height, and your length, we are all brothers and sisters. The beauty part of it is that uh, tourism has cemented that narrative and reality of it. May I therefore be allowed to go much further to say that Africa is the richest continent on earth with so much gold mined from mountains and valleys of almost all the member states. Diamonds produced in South Africa, in Botswana, in Namibia, where I am today, Liberia, Sierra Leone, just to name a few, we produce the best cocoa. Africa produces the best tea that has found its market on the shelves of the United Kingdom and beyond. So therefore, Africa has plates of platinum and layers that can supply the whole world for the next decade. What am I saying, colleagues? When it comes to tourism, it is the only primary drivers of economic growth and job creation in Africa. We have a unique history, as I allude to my minister, that with our diversity across the continent, our natural wonders that have gained momentum and attention amid the local and global increase in cultural heritage, 
I allude with you, Anita, that with our rich culture, cultural heritage, we need to have a conference where we have a conversion of all our diversity to celebrate the beauty of Africa through tourism. Our 54 member states have tremendous opportunity to become and remain vibrant hosts for both domestic and international tourism and investment at large. Therefore, as we set the pace for activation to our tourism economy, dear brothers and sisters across the globe, Africa and Africa is open. Africa is ripe. Come visit and invest. This is your home. We will welcome you with wide open arms. Thank you so much, Yegen. We really appreciate. Thank you so much.